0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum ten dollar per order, additional term supply.
1: Well, what's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And do you listening wherever you are tonight at WWL.com or the radio.com app? Welcome on into the show. Boy, do we have a good one for you tonight. Boycott Bull off the chain yesterday. My goodness. The sights, the sounds, the scenes here in New Orleans, Decatur Street, that parade marching down. I I mean, it looked like a Super Bowl parade. Certainly a lot more entertaining and fun than the actual Super Bowl yesterday. I told you I was partaking in Boycott Bowl with you. I did. I did not watch the game live. Of course, watched the uh, highlights. Got a job to do, so I had to do that. Film highlights, all that good stuff. But just an incredible showing here in New Orleans the only city I believe in the country that could pull off something like that to make the disappointment turn the disappointment of the no call a couple of weeks ago into an event that anybody who took part in it or witnessed the show down in the French quarter certainly never going to forget we'll talk some boycott bowl Super Bowl television ratings down and way down here in New Orleans and like I told you You had a chance to hit him where it hurts, and you did. 26 share here in New Orleans. It's incredible. About half of what it was last year. Lowest rated Super Bowl since 2009. We'll talk to Eric Edholm, NFL writer for Pro Football Weekly at the bottom of the hour. Also, Andrew Whitworth, the left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams. Of course, from Louisiana, did not ingratiate himself to Saints fans with his comments about the Saints last week. Well, he made some more comments after the game on Twitter, took another little low-lying shot at the Saints, maybe their fans, and then decided to delete his Twitter afterwards and also made some comments that were a little eyebrow-raising, head-scratching in his post-game press conference saying, well, we all die sometime and trying to say, hey, it's not that big of a deal losing the Super Bowl in the grand scheme of life. So I agree with them on some things. I agree with them on other. Th- I disagree with them on other things. But we'll get to the boycott, bowl, Super Bowl, and football talk in a little bit. LSU also lost their first game in SEC play this year, falling to Arkansas um, over the weekend. In the game where they trailed by as many as eighteen, but came back to lead with under a minute left. a Game that really they should have won. A mistake by Tremont Waters. We'll get into that later in the show. But front and center again, and we've got to start off with Anthony Davis again, and. The latest offer from the Lakers was making the rounds today. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski first reported that Magic Johnson, who's the Lakers president, Rob Polinka, they have reportedly increased their offer for Anthony Davis. And by increasing their offer, they threw one extra player in there, they threw one extra draft pick in there, and then a bunch of nonsense. Now, in hour number two, we're really going to get into this. because I open up the entire hour. I'm going to have a commentary on this craziness. I just wrote my column that is posted online at WWL.com that the Lakers really need a lesson in NBA economics here after another lowball offer for Anthony Davis. But the offer that we saw today, which was Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, draft picks, and this – Salary cap relief is in this offer, too, where they're going to take on reportedly Solomon Hill and then send back Rondo, Lance Stevenson, and Michael Beasley. But salary cap relief is an overplayed hand here, overplayed storyline. The Pelicans trade Anthony Davis. They're not going to need any salary cap relief. Hill's only on contract through next year. They're going to be a lottery team anyways. they're not competing. With or without Solomon Hill, certainly without Anthony Davis, they will not be. Also, we saw Lonzo Ball, through his dad, again for the second time in a week, make comments saying Lonzo Ball does not want to play here. LeVar Ball saying he does not want his son to play in New Orleans. Meaning that the Pelicans front office should want no part of Lonzo Ball in any deal. So did they increase their offer? Sure, they increased it from the laughable, insulting offer that you had last week. But it shouldn't matter. It should not matter. The offer that was put on the table today maybe is where the Lakers should have started this whole process. It's not an end point, and it's still not close to the offer that the Pelicans are going to get the offers the Pelicans are going to get this summer from Boston and New York and and other teams. The bidding war will be real. The price will increase. And the Lakers know this. They know that the price for Anthony Davis goes way up this summer with those other teams in the market. It's just simple economics. If you want to subvert that bid war, if you want to preempt that bid war, then the Lakers need to overpay for Anthony Davis now. Not underpay, it's backwards economics. And the propaganda machine coming out of the Lakers and the media in Los Angeles and the people really around NBA circles who want to see a deal happen, that want to see Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, is a little pathetic. And I'm not buying it. The smart basketball people across the league aren't buying it. And thank goodness it doesn't sound like the Pelicans, Del Demps, and Mickey Loomis are buying it. Now, Dell Demps right now is still being allowed to take offers from Magic Johnson and the Lakers. The Pelicans should not allow Dell Demps to execute any trade. I've gone over this before. We talked about it all week. Now, I have multiple sources telling me that the writing is on the wall for Dell Demps, that the organization is planning on moving away and moving on from Dell Demps and also restructuring their front office this summer. That's the plan now. Sources are telling me, people that I've spoken to, nothing's firm, but that's the plan now. And the plan now is also to wait till this summer to deal Anthony Davis and wait till you have a new general manager and a restructured front office before any deal is done. The only party that this makes sense for to get a deal done now with the Offer the assets that are being offered from Los Angeles is the Lakers. It doesn't make sense for the Pelicans. It might make sense for Anthony Davis. It doesn't make sense for the Pelicans. The Pelicans aren't here to enrich Los Angeles. The Pelicans, their priority is no longer to make Anthony Davis happy. That priority was obliterated the moment that Anthony Davis informed them he didn't want to play for them anymore. No longer is that their priority. In a year and a half, when Anthony Davis is a free agent, he can go wherever he wants. That's the NBA system. I'm not going to begrudge him for that. Like I said last week, I'm not going to begrudge him if he wants to tell the Pelicans' front office that he doesn't want to play here any longer. I think he should have told Gail Benson. I thought that was childish, I thought that was highly disappointing that he didn't have a direct conversation with Gail Benson. I also think the more we learn about this whole process on uh, Anthony Davis' side, what his camp is saying, what he's saying, what his agent Rich Paul is saying and doing behind the scenes, the more disappointed in general I am with Anthony Davis. There are multiple angles to this now where he is just not being truthful and was not truthful with the media and – through the media to you, the fans, with what he told the media last week in his press conference. Stuff like, oh, I didn't give the team any list. My camp didn't leak any of this information. I don't care where I go. Well, that's interesting because today Anthony Davis reportedly told the Pelicans through his representation that, well, he's updated his list of teams that he's willing to sign with. Uh, Didn't you just tell us last week? That you didn't have a list? Well, that list isn't just the Lakers anymore. Apparently it's the Celtics, it's the Bucks, it's the Knicks. I'm not really believing in any of that because the Bucks aren't going to have the assets to trade for them. The Knicks may or may not, depending on how lucky they get in the lottery. The Lakers right now, I don't believe. Still no Celtics on that list, of course. That's how he's trying to leverage this. Text from the 504, Anthony Davis is the enemy now. Is he the enemy? No, that's a pretty strong word. I don't think he's the enemy, but like I said, the priority is no longer to make him happy. The priority is to get the best deal that the Pelicans can to make sure that when they go through this inevitably really challenging, rough rebuild, that they have the assets and the people in place to come out of the other side better for it. Tim Zimmer, who is our producer behind the glass, I know you got a lot of thoughts on this, Tim. Come on in here.
0: Don't you think Anthony Davis has the Milwaukee Bucks in there just because he wants everyone to think that you know they're a small market team? I got to make sure that I have to at least have a small market team as an option, and you know realistically he's going to a big market.
1: Well, uh, yes, because he knows that Milwaukee doesn't have the assets to trade. They're not sending Yanis back for in that deal. That would be absurd. At least they shouldn't. There's not enough assets there in Milwaukee. So, yes, I think this is a little bit of gamesmanship by Anthony Davis and his agents and clutch sports. It's all just stinks to high heaven to me. So, hour number two here. We're going to talk a lot more about this. And I'll explain why I think the Lakers need a lesson in NBA economics after this second really lowball offer for Anthony Davis. When we come back, though, I want to talk about boycott bowl, Super Bowl television ratings, and if you were part of Boycott Bowl, if you were out there at the second line, the parade, and the quarter, wherever you went, maybe you went to Tracy's or one of these bars that was showing the 09 uh, 2010 Super Bowl for the Saints, I'd love to hear from you. And also why these Super Bowl television ratings are bad news for the NFL. 504-260-1870 is the phone number. That's area code 504-260-1870. And the text line is 870-870. Just getting started here tonight. Great show planned for you all. Thanks for listening. I'm Seth Dunlap. Tim Zimmer behind the glass here on WWL. A little Maroon 5 here coming back to the show. In, of course, it's a little poignant because Maroon 5 featuring Travis Scott, Super Bowl halftime show last night, was not disastrous, but it was as forgettable as everybody thought it would be. You know Adam Levine taking his shirt off. I don't know why, and I agree with everybody on Twitter who's saying this. Why in the world is Adam Levine allowed to walk around with a shirt off and show his nipples? And we don't get Janet Jackson. It seems like a an absurd double standard, especially in 2019. I thought the whole Super Bowl halftime show was, was not good, and even Travis Scott was not good. I was just, I thought we'd get I thought Travis Scott would be better. I, I, when he came out, I was like, okay, maybe this would kind of be good here. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. What do you think, Tim?
0: I thought it was okay. I liked it. I didn't I'm a Maroon 5 fan, so I mean, I'm not a huge Maroon 5 fan, but I enjoy their music. So I thought it was okay. It wasn't like spectacular. It didn't like throw me, you know, throw me I mean, I guess like like Prince or like, you know, the past halftime performances, but it was okay.
1: Might have been better than the game. Right? The game was just bad. 13 to 3 Patriots win. It was the lowest scoring Super Bowl. Of all time, sixteen total points. It was also the first time the Patriots had won a Super Bowl by more than one score. So get wrecked, Rams. You're the ninth team they played in the Super Bowl in the Brady Belichick era, and you're the first team that they've beaten by double digits. Get wrecked, Sean McVay, Wonder Boy, Genius. Get wrecked. Get to Andrew Whitworth here in just a little bit. So the television ratings ran, and of course you probably heard by now. But it was the lowest-rated Super Bowl since 2009. It's partly due to, maybe in majority due to the no-call and the backlash, not just here in New Orleans, but across the country to that. 44.9 overnight rating. Last time it was lower than that was 2009. That was the Steelers-Cardinals Super Bowl. Here in New Orleans, though, I wish we had the soundbite of this. One of the sports libs that we did last week was, what do you think the rating's going to be in New Orleans? And I said between 25 and 30. 26.1 was the rating in New Orleans. That is half of what it was last year when they scored a 52 rating, and it's the lowest ever in the New Orleans market and the lowest among NFL cities this year. That's because of you, the fans, who turned – boycott bowl into a party really worthy of kicking off mardi gras it was kind of the unofficial kickoff of mardi gras right it's carnival season here a later carnival season this year i loved it i mean it looked like tim didn't it look like a mardi gras scene in the quarter when you saw the pictures of those parades i know scoot was out there doing some work he was great
0: i did see some hate on twitter i don't know why just salty people i guess but
1: i did see people saying our oh, biggest tantrum ever or what like what like, we're partying we're trying to make lemonade out of these lemons, man. Don't rip us. I, I did see what you're talking about. I saw some national writers doing this. Oh, what a big tantrum in New Orleans. What? I'll tell you what. We had a lot more fun doing that than we did watching that nonsense game. Terrible game, 13-3. to What a snooze fest. 3 nothing at halftime. I didn't miss anything by not watching it live. I'll tell you that much. Tim, did you watch it live or were you boycott bowling?
0: I was one of the few fans who watched the entire game.
1: So you're part of the 26-1.
0: Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, I mean, it, I didn't think it was as boring as people are making it out to be because the, I I found parts of the game interesting, but I I mean, it was very. You're
1: a fan of punters.
0: No, I mean the punter. I mean Todd Gurley had the same amount of touches as the Rams punter, so let's, right. let's just be real. Uh, it was how okay. did, It was okay though.
1: How did Stephon Gilmore not win MVP?
0: I think because Elderman offense, offense usually wins. Yeah,
1: but I mean, you're talking about a guy who had what three or four pass deflections. He had the interception. He was so good. And you're in a 13 to three game. You're giving it to an offensive player.
0: The MVP itself should go to the coaching staff for the of the of
1: the. uh, Bill Belichick. Bill
0: Belichick, but you can't really do that.
1: Yeah. There you. Um. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. Jay in Mississippi. Welcome into the show, Jay. Jay, are you there? Jay is conspicuously silent, and he just hung up. Jay must have got cold feet. Feel free to call back, Jay. Let's go to the text line here at eight seventy eight seventy. Because Janet Jackson is the New Orleans Saints of halftime shows, while Adam Levine must be the Larims of halftime show? I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, text from the 504, and Roger Goodell was handing over the trophy. Did you guys hear a bunch of booing from the crowds? I thought I did. Roger Goodell always gets booed anywhere he goes. The draft, his press conferences, certainly at the Super Bowl when they show him up in the owner's boxes of the various owners he goes and visits. Dexter from the 504, Pat's fan since 1986. The game wasn't, quote, bad. It was a defensive masterpiece, much more compelling than that 54-49 Rams-Chiefs game earlier this year. I, I just completely disagree. I'm sorry. I like defense as much as the next guy. I really do. I think... We're going to have a reversion to mean here a little bit the next couple of years with defense becoming more important and more prominent than it was this season. I've talked about it on the show a lot. But if you think that yesterday's game was more entertaining, more compelling than that Rams-Chiefs game earlier this year, then I guess we were just not watching the same game. Or maybe your Pat's fandom coming through a little bit there. No, I like, I like low-scoring games. I don't like boring games. Low-scoring games can be exciting and compelling, but not when there's just there, – there was no offense to speak of. I don't even know what Sean McVay – Sean McVay just got outclassed and outcoached. I mean, that was evident in all the film I watched today. He could do nothing, and it was almost like – well, I mean, we've seen this before. It was almost like the Patriots had the play call sheet and maybe even a feed on the Rams radio system. I'm not saying it was there. I'm just saying that's how well – and how much they were prepared for everything that the Rams are doing offensively.
0: The Rams looked like a team that was struggling to the finish line to end the season. Basically, their their top player in offense, he was limited. Their number one receiver for golf, he was injured midseason in, uh, in Cooper Cup. It just looked like the Rams had – no weapons. Golf head was he was lost. He didn't had no idea what he was looking at, and and, and the Rams just struggled all all around. Other than maybe the
1: defense. Yeah, uh, we did have prop bets here. Somebody's asking on the text line, how'd your prop bets turn out? I want to save these. We're gonna go over these towards the end of the hour. So if you missed it last week on Friday, we did a really fun show where Tim made prop bets. Tim myself against the audience, and there was about twenty of these prop bets that we made, and we have the results here. Little spoiler: one of the competitors came out negative two of the competitors came out positive and one way positive find out who towards the end of this hour you can give us a call at 504-260-1870 the text line is eight seventy eight seventy. our blue runner foods opinion poll at wwl.com did you watch the super bowl yesterday you can log on to wwl.com cast your vote there Or at the Radio.com app. When we come back, Eric Edholm, NFL writer for Pro Football Weekly, will go over the Super Bowl, the ratings, and everything that happened last night. I'm Seth Dunlap. Tim Zimmer here, too. It's the last lap on WWL. That was Roger Goodell getting booed soundly by everybody. Went over to the game in Atlanta. You know, it's fitting that maybe the most boring Super Bowl of all time, one of them, I still think a couple of those Bills Cowboys, or Bills Super Bowls anyways, were not that entertaining. This was among the least entertaining Super Bowls of all time. It's fitting that that happened over there in Atlanta. There's more people at that stadium for the MLS Cup final than there was the Super Bowl. 73,000 for the MSL Cup final, 70,000 for the Super Bowl yesterday. Pelicans are in action second half right now. Pacers lead the Pelicans over the Smoothie King Center. 74-67 74-67 with 3.39 to play, and and look here. The more losses, the better for the Pelicans now. Increase those, the amount of ping-pong balls you're going to get at the draft later this summer. As promised, Eric Edholm joins us now, NFL writer for Pro Football Weekly, to talk about the Super Bowl yesterday. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you?
2: I, I had to double check. This is a New Orleans station calling me about the Super Bowl, right? This is actually happening?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, we look, we didn't watch down here, so we need to talk to somebody who actually watched the game, Eric. <laughs> All right. That makes perfect sense then. All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, we gotta know we gotta know what happened. I mean we were out on Decatur and in the French quarter and you know having a lot of fun. Nobody was nobody God was watching. Bless
2: you. <laughs> And I was down there for the NFC title game, so I can I can obviously, you know, commiserate with what happened down there. Let me tell you too, I've been to New Orleans probably twenty, twenty five times in my life. One of my favorite cities on earth. But I had a miserable trip when I was down there. So I, I'm already thinking about the next time I get down there to get a to get a better taste in my mouth. It was totally related to travel, had nothing to do with anything else, so always great people down there
1: all right well sorry to hear that i've, I've run into that a, right. a few times also so yeah. how, how much did yesterday surprise you not the result necessarily but how that game played out being the lowest yeah. scoring game in super bowl history
2: yeah i didn't uh my my final score didn't really hold up uh too well i thought after uh first quarter okay they're just getting just getting started here you're just feeling each other out I, you know credit both you know wade phillips Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, who's now the, the Miami Dolphins head coach. I mean, uh, you know, those three guys came up with some some really great defensive game plans and and really had the time to kind of break down the weaknesses of the Rams and Patriots offense is that I think through a lot of stuff at Brady and Goff that, you know, Brady handled things better. He didn't panic. Uh, whereas Goff at times just sort of looked out of rhythm. And, and I think that obviously, you know, led to the score being as, as low as it did. And, you know, the Rams were having to drive these long fields and the Patriots missed a field goal and, you know, a little bit uncharacteristic with some of their early mistakes, I think. And so, yeah, it was it was surprising to me, 13-3. I, I think I would have, you know, if you'd asked me what the lowest score could have been heading in, I might have said, you know, twenty-one seventeen or something like that. So, yeah, it was definitely a lot different than I imagined.
1: How much of an impact does this have on the reputation of Sean McVay and, and Jared Goff? Sean McVay, of course, just had all sorts of problems dealing with this, the scheme and the game plan by Bill Belichick. And Goff just has not looked like the same guy the last two postseasons, really. How much of an impact does it have on the uh, perception of those two guys, Jared? I mean, uh, Eric?
2: Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> – to me, heading into the uh, NFC Championship game, I, I frankly had some issues. And I thought, you know, the reason I'm picking the Saints in that game is because I thought, look, Breeze is going to take what the Rams give him. They're going to protect him well. Rams hadn't blocked all that well. The pass blocks to the pass protection were just an issue coming into that game. And Goff had, frankly, stepped up in big situations. So when it was 13 0, I felt pretty good about my prediction there, too. I think that Goff made some of his best throws of his career in that, you know, from mid-second quarter on uh, and really stepped up in a tough situation. He did very much the opposite in, in the Super Bowl, where, you know, when when things just weren't there, he wouldn't take the underneath stuff. He kind of panicked and really kind of pushed the button too much, and that's how you lead to eight punts to start the game. Some of that was on McVeigh. They never had a change-up to what the Patriots did. The Patriots were a probably the highest percentage of man coverage coming into that game. The first half was almost entirely zone coverage. You know, I mean, they just, they basically said, you're not going to run the ball against our front and you've got to find, we're not going to give you those deep passes that you want to throw those intermediate routes too. We're going to cut off. So all those man beaters they had just kind of went nowhere. And, And that was as, probably as much on McVay as it was on Goff. But in the second half, when the Patriots got back to playing a little more man, coming with pressure a little bit more, I felt like there were opportunities for Goff to make some big-time throws. He made some. That one drive, you know, he looked pretty good. But when they came with empty pressure and he just threw this flutter ball, you know, it was an easy pick at the four-yard line. That was a big, big play. And it just felt like a real missed opportunity. So was the, you know, the would be touchdown to, to Brandon Cooks late in the third, where, you know, best pocket he's seen all night, has the opportunity, throws this fluttery rainbow, and, and a guy 17 yards away is able to knock it away. That's just, you know, you wouldn't see Brady or, Bree, or Breeze or anybody like that miss that throw. That's where golf is needing to take that next step
1: i think that's good stuff here from eric edholm nfl writer for pro football weekly and you can find him on twitter at eric underscore edholm Uh, we're focused on the rams down here a little more because obviously next year saints rams expected to be among the contenders again in the nfc but i'm just wondering here for the rams eric it seems like their best opportunity was this year because they're aging in places uh, in uh, on the defensive um side of the football, Whitworth might not come back. He kind of dodged those questions yesterday, and they don't have a lot of salary cap space. Do you think that they're going to be back in this position again as a contender next year?
2: I think they they fully recognized last offseason when they made a flurry of moves, right? I mean, bringing in Marcus Peters, Tlaib, you know, Ndamukong Sue, et cetera, et cetera. For, they knew the eighth, first of all they didn't have a lot of draft picks, but they accumulated as lot as many late picks as possible. Six, seven rounders. They had a little bunch on day three. Hey, let's get as much depth at positions that are going to be issues in 2019. So it's a smart, proactive move. They drafted pass rushers and offensive linemen. Those are two issues that are probably going to be facing them this off season. You mentioned Whitworth, John Sullivan, their center could retire. You know, Roger Stafford's a free agent. Uh, you know, I, and on and on. Austin Blayett played a terrible game at right guard, so that's an issue they've got to concern themselves with. Some of that will come from the in-house guys that they drafted last year. Some of them could be, you know, other low low-priced guys. But yeah, there's no doubt they've got to make the decision. They've already made a decision; they're keeping Brandon Cooks. He's got a big number. You know, he didn't. You know, he had a good statistical game, but I didn't think he played a good game like you'd expect out of one of the top five paid receivers for 2019. So you're right. They did have a window to win it this year, and they came up 10 points short. Um, Can they still be one of the contenders next year? Yes. They get Cooper Cup back. We'll get a healthy Todd Gurley. You know, McVay will learn from his lessons. But to your point, you know, these opportunities don't you know, for any team not named the Patriots, don't come along every year.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, Let's go to the other side the Patriots, their sixth title in the Brady Belichick era. Was this their most impressive performance? And I'm talking not in the Super Bowl necessarily, but from the start of the season to the end here. Because, and I think obviously everybody's ripping Brady and Belichick for saying nobody believed in us. But relatively, I guess you could kind of say that relative to previous Patriots seasons, anyways.
2: Yeah, I think at various points throughout the season, they look cooked. I mean, you know, whether it was early on when they. Got smashed at Jacksonville early in the season. Late in the year, when they, you know, Miami gashed them with the run game, beat them with the Miami miracle. They went to Pittsburgh the next week and lost. And you know, they were what were they four and four on the road in the regular season? I mean, it wasn't very good. It was three and five, whatever the heck it was. So, you know, they had their issues. They were they looked like a very one dimensional team in some regards, but exceptional coaching. Very good toughness, mental and physical on the roster, uh, and a willingness of those players to take the coaching and do whatever they you know, were asked to do, allowed them to kind of reform and reshape themselves. So, yeah, it goes back to what Belichick has been doing for years. And this coaching staff is going to look a lot different. Flores is going to bring, you know, Jerry Shapinsky, the quarterback coach. He's going to bring the wide receivers coach with him to Miami. There will be some changes. So, yeah, it, it, it's certainly going to be a little bit tougher, but it's always tough down there. And they, they find solutions to problems better than any other franchise in, in modern football. So I would say it ranks up there among one of their best Turnaround jobs, everything that happened with Josh Gordon and everything else—it's been crazy.
1: Well, Brady becomes the first guy to win six Super Bowls, first player to win six Super Bowls. But a little under the radar here, you know this, Eric. He didn't play his best in the postseason. Only two touchdowns this postseason, three interceptions, and only one touchdown, three picks in the Super Bowl and AFC Championship game. Is he going to be back? And is there any worry there that hey, maybe we're starting to see an actual decline here from Brady?
2: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't at his best down the stretch. There's no question about it. But they also were able to run the football exceptionally well. And usually you think, okay, well, you know, if we're not fearing the passing game, let's just gear up against the run. Well, first of all, they're so schematically smart and so technically smart and so proficient up front, they were able to run the ball regardless of that. And guess what? Brady still made some big-time throws in the game, even though he struggled largely. Um, and I think they'll move on from certain wide receivers. Chris Hogan had a tough game last night. I think Brady was like over six when he targeted him with a pick, you know, and, and one almost pick. So they'll make some adjustments in the receiving game. That'll help him out. I do think Brady's back. I think you heard it last night to where he said, this is, this is what we play for. And, and the other underlying thing is that in tra- around training camp, all that negativity that really cloaked the team last year about, Kraft, Belichick, Brady, cooler heads prevailed over the offseason, and their relationship is stronger now, and I think that's a big reason why Brady wouldn't walk away. Now We'll see about Gronk, but I, I think he's back for at least one more year.
1: Well, maybe a year from now we'll finally see the elusive Breeze-Brady Super Bowl in Miami. I know everybody down here probably rooting for something like that. Eric Edholm, NFL writer for Pro Football Weekly. Eric, appreciate it, man. And, uh, look, you're always invited. And come on down to the city anytime. I know you said you love it. So,
2: Oh, I love it indeed. Maybe for Jazz Bus this
1: year. We'll see. Hey, there you go. Stone's coming for that one. Eric. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Edholm, at Eric underscore Edholm. Uh, thanks to him. And, look, another bow on... Another NFL season here. 2018-19 season is in the books. So what'd you do yesterday? I am curious. Like, If you watch the game, that's fine. You can call in an alias if you want. But what'd you think about yesterday's game? Maybe you had a chance to watch it after the fact today. If you it. 504-260-1870. Text line is eight We'll take your calls next. Also, Andrew Whitworth takes aim at the Saints again on Twitter and then deletes his account. Also said some interesting things in his post-game press conference. We'll have that for you when we come back here. I'm Seth Dunlap, Tim Zimmer on The Last Lap. So the Patriots defeat the Rams 13-3 to yesterday in an utterly disappointing Super Bowl. Most people in the city celebrating Boycott Bowl instead, and I guarantee you had a better time doing that than you would have watching the game. It was an, a stinker. The halftime show, in my mind, was forgettable. Nothing really about it that caught my eye. Again, boycotted with you, then then watched it after the fact. Because, hey, I got a job to do here for you. But, yeah, I think it's a Super Bowl. Other than Brady winning his sixth, which was important. It's a milestone there. I think a Super Bowl that most people aren't really going to remember outside of the madness that ensued the couple of weeks prior to it with the no-call. No now, Andrew Whitworth, the left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams, lots to talk about him last week when he made some comments about the Saints and their fans being petty and saying, um, paraphrasing last week when Whitworth, he was on the Rich Eisen show and saying um, he didn't have any respect for the Saints because they're blaming others. Saints need to stop whining and complaining. They lost the game. Well, last night... Andrew Whitworth, again, not ingratiating himself to anybody here in the state of Louisiana in the Saints fandom. Here's what he said on Twitter, at a whitworth 77 Oh, a little bit after losing the game. He said, quote, thankful to our fans. We don't blame things we can't control, and we look internally for how we could be better. It's part of his quote there last night. Obviously not even a veiled shot at the Saints. That was a kind of a direct shot, again, at New Orleans here. Now, he got intense backlash for this, for after playing in a Super Bowl, using his platform to take another shot at the New Orleans Saints, fair or unfair, a lot of, you know, social media, and you know how this goes, Tim. They jumped on him um, like flies on honey. And within about two hours, Andrew Whitworth has, had deleted his Twitter account. Completely gone dark on social media. Now, Andrew Whitworth in his post-game press conference, I thought he was actually pretty eloquent here in what he said, but there was one part of this that caught the world's eye. Listen to Andrew Whitworth. I thought that was that was a great comment. It really was. Like, that's what he, he, he kind of should have been saying the last couple of weeks. Instead of using his platform, no matter how perturbed he was by Saints players or Saints fans upset about the no call, he should have just stayed above the fray. Andrew Whitworth is probably a Hall of Fame left tackle. One of the great left tackles to play the game in this era. He's just above this petty nonsense of going after the Saints and their fans. I loved what he said in that press conference, I didn't really like, again, him taking shots on his Twitter account. And, again, he deleted his Twitter account. After that, we'll see if Andrew Whitworth plays again or not. Says basically he's undecided on that. Let's go to the phone lines. Jared in Algiers. Welcome into the show, Jared.
3: Hey, thank you. I, I'd like to make a couple of points. First of all, Andrew Whitworth, he could go back to L.A. because the one fan who watched the game, not fans, plural, but fans, they're going to forget about him when the team moves anyway. But I like to um, see my guy Gronk almost got one touchdown, and um, he did. I think he was because yeah, he almost got one. It was with the, he got caught on the two yard line um, before the Patriots ran it in. But what I wanted to stress on was that the older coach like Belichick. People talk about the Patriot way. It's really not a Patriot way. But if you follow Belichick's career, he always drafted. Smart players that were flexible in whatever defenses he came up with, whether it was with the Giants, <clears throat> whether it was with Cleveland, whether it was with um, the Patriots the second times, wherever he went, he always drafted smart players, which allows him to make the adjustments and be flexible. Sean McVay was not prepared for that. No, he Sean wasn't. McVay had Sean McVay had no idea what Belichick was going to come up with. But Belichick, if you follow his career, and I think you're about the same age I am, if you followed him all the way through the Giants when he was with Purcells, they always draft smart defensive players.
1: Yeah, smart players that are able to understand uh, the the Belichick system and his intricacies and nuance because he likes smart football players because their schemes, especially defensively, are are so diverse and flexible on a week-to-week basis. you got to have those intellectual guys. It's a a great point here, Jared, but the master schooled the apprentice in this one. I do believe that there is now a big hit on the perception of Sean McVay's Football prowess, his offensive ingenuity after getting beat last year in their first playoff game, and then this year just really, they should have lost in the NFC Championship. We all know that. But then just getting embarrassed in the Super Bowl by New England. I don't know how you come out of that, not at least scathed and scraped up a little bit. We'll take a break here when we come back. Tim Zimmer is going to update us. On our prop bets, as promised, find out who won here the fans, the callers, Tim, or myself. Two people in the positive, one competitor in the negative. We'll tell you about this next here on the last lap. So, we had a great show on Friday. A lot of fun as we took prop bets. Every caller on the program on Friday made a prop bet. And then Tim and I, we also made a bet on those same props. We had about 20 of them, give or take a couple of here, Tim. And we did have a clear winner in this. And Tim, you want want me to go over this? Yeah. Okay. So you can come on in here though and comment on this. So I will start off with me. What we did here, every single prop bet it was $100, you know, fake prop bet, obviously, didn't actually make the wagers here, but $100 on each prop, no matter what prop it was, and we just went from there. I, after all these props, I made a little money. I was plus 247. It's not bad. not bad at all. It's a nice little payday. The callers were at minus 224, but the clear winner of this, Tim Zimmer. Tim, you were plus 776. What's your favorite prop here, Tim? Come on in here. Nice job.
0: Uh, my favorite one was actually Kyrie Irving's points plus assist. I think he had like thirty points and a few assists over the Patriots' points total points, and it was a clear runaway. And the uh, touchback will there be a touch? Will there be an opening kickoff touchback? And I said no, and that one paid out pretty well as well.
1: I thought I might have a chance on Sony Michelle MVP after he scored that uh, touchdown. But And I would have won there. It would have been plus 1,500 or something.
0: Elderman was 20 to 1 MVP odds. So if you would have taken yeah. Elderman, you would have won.
1: There you go. We'll have an update on our pick six a little later in the week. Remember, I, w- I was trailing Tim. I don't think it went well, but I haven't checked. Tim was up. Logan trailed by two games, and trailed by three. We're going live on Facebook here in just a second. WWR Radio Facebook page. I'm discussing the Lakers' latest offer for Anthony Davis and why the Pelicans.